0: Jesus, thank you so much for these beautiful, beautiful people, and what a high honor it is to share with them uh, what's on my heart today. Lord, uh, as we come in, we just want to clear everything, and not, not like pretend like you're not relevant to whatever's going on in our hearts and lives, but actually to say you are incredibly relevant to it, and so we lift whatever it is we're carrying, something at work, something in the family, maybe a diagnosis, maybe something going on in our bodies, maybe something we're, maybe we're analyzing, maybe we're critical, I don't know, and we just want to give it to you. And so we just lift that to you right now and say, Lord, hold this for us while, while we hear from you. And so then you could speak to us, whatever it is you want to say, uh, we want to hear. And um, when we leave this place, we want to be more like you. And Lord, in order for that to happen, we can't hear from me. I'm just a person, but we need to hear from you. And so have your way. Speak to our hearts, I pray in your name. Amen. I tell you what's kind of uh, tripping my trigger these days is these thoughts related to spiritual formation, and I'm um, wondering how we're doing on that as a church, and um, it's all part of the whole missional leadership, missional living experience. And so I realize that when it comes to spiritual formation there's probably 1,400 different definitions kind of that will gather under the banner of Alive today of what spiritual formation is. And so if you're new to church world, or maybe you kind of have your own definition, let me just give you mine. This isn't like the expert opinion. It's just me, okay? So it's just an idea. And so here's kind of where I am. Spiritual formation for me is being something spiritual is being formed in me, making me into something better. That's what I mean by spiritual formation. Now, there's more technical and Talk to some smart people about all that, but for me, this is what it means, that something spiritual is being formed in me, and it's making me into something better, and so that's what I want to go after. So so we're having this discussion, so, so the reason we're having this discussion about spiritual formation has to do with these three questions that I've been bringing to you every Sunday, and the three questions I think generally would guide how we would normally find ourselves being formed spiritually. We would sit around and have discussions about what are some things Jesus says need to be done, or what are some things Jesus says needs to be done to change, or what are some things that I should do better? And so for us, spiritual formation is trying to answer these questions, and, and that's, that's an idea. In fact, that's kind of what I was raised on. In fact, probably most of us in the room could write down some ideas for each one of these questions. Am I fair so far? Because, you know, here's something I could do. Here's something I feel like maybe this could be done or something like that. And then I realized the issue in modern church world and respectfully, the issue at Alive, isn't that we don't know. The issue is we don't want that's the issue is what Dallas Willard says. We got this broken wanter and that's a great description of me. I don't know where it is, but I'm pretty sure it's broken. I got, it's not that I don't know there's some things Jesus would like to do in my heart and life or there's not, it's not like I can't stand in front of a mirror and say, wow, Tom, you stink in that area. And Jesus would like to fix that. I I know it's not that it's that I don't want to. It's that I don't want to. And so, so you might say, Tom, with a heart like that, how did you ever get this job? I have no idea. I, I have no idea how they got me. In fact, I think they hired Lise and said, Tom, you can come. You know, that's kind of what I think happened. But you get this. Don't just leave me out to dry on my own here, guys. Let me just kind of push on a couple of tender areas. How many of us know what God teaches about relationships, but we still hold on to bitterness and choose not to forgive? It's not because you don't know you're supposed to forgive. It's because you don't want to. All right, let's get even more tender, shall we? Yes, let's. How many of us know what the Scriptures teach about tithe and offering, but we just don't want to? I mean, I get it, don't you? I mean, I, I work hard for my money. So hard for your money. But anyway, you work so hard for that, I get it. You're welcome. Just this service and never again. How many of us know that God says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but when we stand in front of a mirror, we don't feel that about ourselves? It's not that we don't know. It's that our wanter is broken. For some of us, here's what spiritual formation has been. It's been about answering those three questions. Get this. I'm really going to lose you anywhere. It's going to be right here. It's about answering those three questions and trying to convince ourselves that we want what we really don't want. That's what spiritual formation is and we're trying to sell it to you with a little bit of honey, hopefully it'll making it ourselves miserable, and then we'll be good Christians. You know, that's kind of the whole plan for spiritual formation. So what we're saying is, you really want this, and you're saying, no, I don't. Yes, you really do. You really, I really don't want that sexually. I really don't want to keep all my money. I really don't want to resent you. Yes, you do. Just own it. It's true. It's not that we don't know. It's what we want, and we're going to do what we want. Now, the reason that's important is this. Some of us have been frustrated with our spiritual growth and wondered if the thing is broken or the thing's just boring, and the reason is we have spent our life trying to convince ourselves we want something different than we really do, and so for me to embark on that model of spiritual formation, I have to buy into being fake. And nobody likes church that's fake. And nobody likes fake people. Except your grandma, she loves you. But everyone else. Fair? Am I am okay so far? So what does it mean? We want this fake stuff. And I think, like, well, I don't want to be fake. And so, so here's the thing. We need to figure out if we can change the wanter. So we think if we could change the wanter, then we could maybe be more spiritual. Well, what I'm saying today is, when it comes to spiritual formation, the plan was never to try to change the wanter. It's not trying to want something you don't want. I really want this, but I also want to be pure. I'll just, oh, I'll go with this want. You know, that's kind of what we do. And I'm saying that doesn't work. Growing spiritually isn't about changing what I want. It's about Jesus changing what's inside of me. I want you to grab a hold of that because this could change your life. Growing spiritual isn't about changing what I want, convincing yourself you want something different because the Bible says so. It's actually about Jesus changing, what, changing what's inside. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, as you get to know me, it'll be like a seed that grows inside of you. And so the seed gets planted, and all of a sudden this thing starts growing, which is kind of creepy, weird sound, but it's still, I mean, it was a good story. And so the thing starts growing, and as a result of that, you get this thing called life. Not like life like most of us are doing now, but life like to the full or abundant life, he said. And then he went on to say, not only that, but as the seed grows, you can get this eternal life, and most of us think, well, that's talking about heaven and a harp and a cloud. That's not at all what Jesus was talking about when he said eternal life. He talked about heaven. That's what he was talking about, eternal life, or, or, or talking about that. But this is what he said eternal life was in John 17. He says eternal life is this, that you'll know me, or actually know God, the one who sent, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus is saying eternal life is knowing God. That's where it starts. That's the beginning. Now, here's the thing. This is part of of our spiritual formation. In fact, it's foundational. It's key DNA. It's the chewy chocolate center of what spiritual formation is all about because God changes what is inside and then as a result, other things change. But it starts in here. The seed, the words of God, get planted and grow. Now here's the thing. You cannot rush that seed process immediately you start trying to rush the seed process in you, it becomes this game between what you want more than what you want. I really want to be holy, but I also want this. (laughs) And we try to rush it. If you can't see it in yourself, you cannot rush the seed process in those people you love, especially family. I want this for them. And uh, you cannot touch that. That's not your business. That's not for me and you to do. That's out of our pay grade. But it does lead to this question for me. What would be the best possible environment for any seed to actually grow? If you've been tracking with me so far, and you get the whole idea of wanting doesn't work, and then you think the whole idea of Jesus saying eternal life is my word in you, and that springs forth, what's the best environment for seeds to grow? And that, I think, is something worth talking about. The question isn't whether or not we all agree on what needs to happen. This is tearing the church apart. The question is not whether or not we all agree on what ought to happen. The question is not that we all agree on what we all want. To vote this way, to believe this way, to drive this car, and to look this way. That's not it. That's boring. And it's also, I don't think, in Scripture. That's not the goal. The question isn't what needs to, needs to change. But the most important question in spiritual formation that we should ask ourselves is this. Is what you're currently doing working. When you stand in front of the mirror and you look at yourself and think, Man, Tom you're amazing spiritually. You know, if that's kind of how you hit, you may want to bring the children in. When the children look at you, are the children saying, daddy, you're just like Jesus all the time. Is that what they're saying? How about your spouse? If you got one of them, bring them into the discussion and have them stand behind you in the mirror, honey, go ahead and tell me how much like God am I? (laughs) You know, go ahead. let, Let me have it. So the question becomes is what we're currently doing, working, is it changing us? So, to get at that, I thought it'd be kind of fun to go back to as close to the source as possible in this whole spiritual formation discuss, discussion. And so, I want to go hang out with people that hung out with Jesus. So, these are his contemporaries, first hand witnesses that were blessed to actually have their accounts. And, and, and these people saw what Jesus taught in public, and they saw what he did in private. They saw it all. And, and what I'm going to share with you is like the original New Testament church and how it all began. In Jerusalem. So here's how this plays out. Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem, and then three days later, he raises up from the dead. Six weeks later, on a hill outside of Jerusalem, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm getting ready to go with be, to be with the Father, but here's what I want you to do. Everybody with me so far? So Jesus died, he, he comes back to life. Six weeks later, he's gonna go be with the Father and says, Here's what I want you to do. First, wait. Because I'm getting ready to send you a gift, which is going to be amazing, and you want the gift. Once you get the gift, the second thing is this. I want you to start in Jerusalem and then head out from there. That's great, Jesus. Okay, we're ready. now. What do you want us to do? Here's what I want you to do. Teach the things that I taught you. Got it. What else? There is nothing else. You, you, You... you just want me to teach the things that, but well, like if I do that, um, should we get t-shirts? I mean, you know, should I, should I like form a committee? You know, should I do something with that? Jesus said, uh, you're right. And then baptize them. <laughs> teach them what I say to do and then baptize them. And, and, and that's it. Okay, okay, how long, Jesus? He said, Til I'm, till I come back. Okay, you're going to be back like in a week? I'm not telling And then, about 10 days after that moment, the gift came. And the gift wasn't a what, it was a who. The gift was the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fell. Now, what does that mean? Get this, this is going to blow your mind. What it means is, before Jesus was with them, now he's in them. And that changed everything. Get this. It wasn't just their deal. It's your deal. It's us. It's not like we just got to come to some place where Jesus is. It's actually wherever we are as believers, Jesus is in. The Holy Spirit is in us. And you talk about spiritual formation... This was like spiritual formation on steroids because, I'll I'll give you one example. Peter is this lousy fisherman. And the reason I say lousy is because every time you hear about Peter in Scripture, it's like Peter is not catching any fish. Peter was not catching any fish. That's all he did. Peter just drowned worms. That's all he did with his entire life. And then Jesus comes to him one day and says, hey why don't you come and help me be a fish of people just come follow me and you can you can do that and peter says, well i stink at this so yeah i'll leave that and he goes and follows jesus he does this for about three years then there comes the night jesus is arrested and then he's arrested and he's kind of goes on trial and during this whole time eventually he's crucified peter denies jesus three times he's like i don't even know that dude i've never been with that dude uh, and then, like, the last time, a little, uh, apparently a, a girl confronted him, and he, like, was, like, trying to say, I, I don't know Jesus. And to kind of show it, he, he used a swear word according to Scripture. He's like, I don't even know him. Darn it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of was that moment, you know, that, that he used to, to, to validate that he wasn't a believer, which I think is hilarious. But anyway, that's kind of what he did. So he's cowardly and afraid. He goes off running. He's unfaithful. He's un, unloyal. Then the gift comes, and the Holy Spirit falls. God is no longer with, alone. Now he's actually in. A little bit later, Peter, after the gift comes, Peter goes sauntering back into Jerusalem, the same place now. And that was a big deal. Because when when Jesus was arrested and killed, the authorities made it clear that anybody who even mentions his name or keeps his teaching you could face the same thing that jesus faced and peter the dude who denied now walks into jerusalem he goes into the temple and he says this hey y'all remember the messiah our ancestors would talk about coming that was going to deliver the people of israel and they're like yeah i remember that y'all just killed him and it's true and the people listening said they had an old dookie moment, if you know what I'm saying. It's like, oh no, we killed the Messiah. How big a screw up is that? And, you know, that, that's a big deal. And Peter says, it's okay. It's okay. God doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate you. He said, because of what he actually did, we can be forgiven for everything, including killing the Messiah. And says in Scripture, that day like 3,000 people were added. Some versions say 3,000 men. If that's true, then you had the women and children. It's like 10,000 people that day were baptized. So after that happened, and you end up with these like three to 10,000 people, whatever it is, what do you do? I mean, do we... Do we have a does somebody like fry a chicken? Do we have potluck. You know what happens in this moment? Now we got to work with all these people here. Let's all go get a Ichthus tattooed. You know what do we do? What what happens in this moment? And that's kind of where we zoom into the contemporaries of Jesus, and see exactly what they did with their broken wanters. Acts two. Those folks devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship breaking of bread and prayers, all kinds of ways to teach this. I kind of think, now, just my two, two cents, I sort of think that fellowship has something to do with these two components, and that's the way I'm going to teach it today. If you feel different, that's fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you, but apostles teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Devote themselves to apostles teaching. Well, that's kind of what we do in here. Um, we, we hear what the scriptures say, and we hear what the writers of the scripture, what they wrote, And what they entailed i would summarize it this way this is kind of what the strategy is this is who jesus was this is what he said this is what he did and this is what he promised and we devote ourselves to that that sounds so complicated no it's it's pretty simple so this is who jesus was this is what he said this is what he did and and this is what he promised and the first church this is exactly what they did Because they had all these new believers that were in a room with the original folks who actually got to walk and talk and eat with Jesus, and so they'd get in a room and say, "Tell us more about Jesus that we were just baptized into." And they say, "Well, there was this one time that we were in this boat, and we were all in this boat, and um, this storm came up, and we were scared to death because it was a big storm, and you know, you you lost your brother, and yeah, I remember I lost a brother. Where was Jesus? Oh, he was sleeping." He was snoring. That Jesus could snore. You know, that kind of conversation would go back and forth. And so he was he was, in the, he was sleeping. And they said, well, what did you all do? We feared for our lives. Well, we tried to get out of it ourselves, but we couldn't get out of it ourselves. So finally, we were in a point of desperation. We went and woke Jesus up, said, oh, Jesus, the storm is coming. And Jesus woke up, and he rubbed the thing in his eyes, and he walked to the bow of the boat, and he stood up, and he said, peace be still. And the storm went from... And the people heard it. They're like, that actually happened? Yeah, we were all there. We saw it. That blows my mind. Yeah, it blew our minds too. This is who Jesus was. This is what he said. This is what he did. And this is what he promised. And someone else said, hey, remember that time we were all eating? And we're at the Sister Esther's house because she makes the best chicken. And we were there. And that woman came in. And she brought this perfume, and we're all eating this meal, having a good time. And all of a sudden, this woman walks in uninvited, and she opens up this bottle of perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And then she took her hair, and she wiped it up. In fact, she was crying on the feet, and she used her hair to wipe it up. And the people are like, what did you all think? And they said, well, it was holy. It was like she knew something that the rest of us didn't. And so we watched it. And another guy said, do you remember when that woman that was caught, like they were doing something with the man? <laughs> and like she was brought in front of Jesus and it's like she was partially clothed. And do you remember like the, the people said, the law says you got to kill her. And we're like, oh, this is going to be a bad day right here. You know, we all didn't know what to do. And Jesus, he stood, he bends down, he starts writing in the sand and you know, the crowd you know say, hey guys, what, what did Jesus write in the sand? And they said, that's none of your business. <laughs> and it's true. You can read it for yourself. You have no idea what they wrote in the sand. But Jesus said to them, he said, hey, listen, if any of y'all are without sin, why don't you just let her have it? Just, just hit her with stones. Go ahead. Let her have it. And, and we were scared because we thought, sure, there was someone whose frontal lobe was not fully developed yet, and they were going to just wing the rock. But nobody did. And they all walked away. And the people started telling those stories. And the more they told those stories about who Jesus was and what he said and what he did and what he promised, something was invented. Don't miss this. Because this was invented only in this context but as a result of the group getting together and telling these kinds of stories about Jesus, fellowship was invented. That's a Christian word. It, it, it means this, though. It means partnership and participation. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It wasn't come, observe the show, and go away until next weekend's game. That's not fellowship. That's not it. This was These teachings are so significant to me and to my marriage or to my family that I have to partner with other people and participate in the telling of these stories. That's fellowship. This is a community that committed to each other at the highest level and to the values that tied their hearts together. And it's an honor to be a part of it participating in what as I said I think it was the breaking of bread and prayer what does that look like well I think they they linked arms like we showed you last week on this on the platform do you remember when they all linked arms I think that's what they did and they prayed prayer is this thing that seems like the most spiritual people are the ones that pray have you noticed that it's like, I, I never get it. I mean, when the people say, like, you know, that prayed in four hours, I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, four hours, I'm going to take a nap, I'm going to wake up, eat a biscuit. I mean, it's just, it's difficult. So, I discovered that that wasn't the only way to pray. So, um, I'll tell you about something that happened to me this week where God spoke to me, and um, I was sitting in a deer stand. Now, if that offends you, I don't, I don't care. And so, I'm... Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to keep you from having an accident by hitting a deer. That's what I'm trying to do. Actually, I'm doing a public service for you people, and you should thank me because as of now, two less are on the road and two more in my freezer. Now, I think that's amazing. And so if you have any of these nasty pests that need to be removed, by all means, give me a call so I can serve you. But I digress. I digress. I'm sitting in the deer stand. Now, uh, the deer stand for me, I don't have phone connections where I am. So um, what I'll normally do is I take my my phone that has music on it. You, you young folks know how that happens. I don't, but anyway, there's music on it. And then I put in these things called uh, earbuds or something like that. Now, if you don't know what an earbud is, it's like a Walkman without the fuzzy pieces. And so it's like a earbuds and I put those in and basically what I'll do is I'll just like, let something play. Usually it's like some set list. And so right now, what I think is uh, I listen to anything from the 70s because I think that was the last great decade of music. And so I listen to the 70s, and so I'll listen to like classic rock or country or Christian. Not really. I just said that because I'm in church. But anyway, I listen to those things, and I'll listen. I'll just let them play. I don't know what songs are going to be playing. I just listen. So I'm in the deer stand this week, and I on Monday, or actually, it was actually last Friday. But anyway, I put it in 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 the headphones, and I'm just letting this country, 70s country thing play. And one of these songs comes across that I'd never heard before. It's called a it's a song called I O U, but it's not Lee Greenwood. For those of you that are country fans, it's it's some other dude. It's one of these dudes who talks and tells stories. You know what I'm saying? So it'd be like, I rambled into town and there was a duck. Or, you know, something like that. You know, that's kind of <laughs> you get the idea. And so uh, and so and so. I, I, I was just going to fast forward or whatever, skip it. I was going to skip it. That's what I was going to I was just going to skip it because it was a song, I owe you, get this. It was about his mom and what he owes his mom. It's I owe you, mom, for all these great things, like, you know, tucking me in bed and all this. I thought, like, well, you know, I just, my mom passed away this summer, so the last thing I wanted to do was sit in the deer stand by myself listening to a song about a mother. And so what I did, I went to hit the, hit the skip button and God checked my heart. 'Cause have given that time to God. I do. I, Lord, this is between me and you. Give me something to shoot. You know, that's kinda how I pray in that deer stand. <laughs> and so the family's starving, Lord. You know, that kind of <laughs> preferably with horns. But anyway, that's kinda what that's kind of what I'm thinking. And I felt it in my heart, guys. I hope this y'all think I'm this is nuts. I did. I felt like God spoke to me. And He said, Listen to this song, boy. And I did come out of the deer stand. I mean, I was understanding. the stand. It was like, it's, it's a tear jerker. I mean, I don't want to say I cried. I mean, I I would, it was good. But I mean, <laughs> whew, it was, it was a good time to be alone. And uh, I got out of the deer stand. I went and checked the, the calendar. That day was the three-month anniversary of mom's death. And I don't know if you've ever studied grief or not, but it does. It goes exactly almost to the day, three, six, and nine-month cycles that it will help you. And it was God saying, Tom, You can't run at the pace you're doing and not deal with this, man. It's going to leave an empty spot in you. And so I think that was God speaking to me. To me, that's prayer. And I think that's something similar to what the early church did. They did a lot more listening than we do and a lot less talking. Scripture says that day by day, they spent a whole lot of time together in the temple. This worship... And they broke bread at their homes and ate their food, glad and generous hearts. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now listen, don't, don't miss this part here that I have highlighted. Because this was not easy. This was spiritual formation did not make a person's life easier. And listen, if you don't hear anything else, Deciding to go on a spiritual formation journey today will not make your life easier. It will not. It will not. And it didn't for these people because it happened in a city. We make a big deal out of that verse in Acts about they went to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. And we quickly move them out of Jerusalem. I wish we stayed a little longer in Jerusalem, and I'll tell you why. Because those first believers that decided to go public with their faith, they were living in a city that had just executed Jesus. And they had just threatened anybody who would actually believe the things of Jesus and said they could face the same things. The Romans were the great oppressors. They were taxing their people into poverty. They would actually, stories tell, that they would actually light their parties, some of them with the bodies of Christians. In fact, you could actually go down the Roman way and you could see bodies on crosses of Christians. That's that's where these people said yes to faith and spiritual formation in Jerusalem. How could they do that? It was the gift. It was the promised one. The Holy Spirit came, and He wasn't just with them, He's actually in them. So, fast forward to 2018 in October at Alive. I think in our culture, you see if you can agree with me or not, Christians are looking for a church, and they tend to fall in two camps. One camp is people are looking for a more palatable, politically correct, culturally acceptable God. It's, it's, it's big right now. It didn't used to be that way, but now it is. People say, I want to go to the, that place and see if they teach a God that I can tolerate. And then there's this other group of people, and I, I guess I'll show you my cards up front. I hope alive is this second group of people. And this second group of people, we are hungry For something so much deeper. We're not looking to create a God in our image. We just want God. And and, and we're hungry just trying to figure out. What this whole thing is all about. From the Bible to churches to. What is it all about? Trying to understand. Who does the kind of things that. Christian people have done throughout history. It's like. It's like when you read about this and you say, oh, that person was a believer. You read about a Mother Teresa or you read about a Billy Graham or you read about any of these people and you think, oh my gracious, what was different about those people? And you think, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm intrigued by it. And I think I Hope Alive is that kind of church. I don't know what this all is, but I think it's important and I got to be a part of it. I'll give you some examples. Lisa and I have this honor of hosting the 9th and 10th grade high school boys at our home every Sunday night. They come into our home, eat all our food, and they make our basement smell like stink. Man, I love those kids. We invited them because we thought they'd stay outside all the time. But they don't. Buy your kids some deodorant, for God's sake. I mean, come on. Come on. What's wrong with you people? And they come. They're so faithful. And they come early and they stay late, and we love it. A few weeks ago, this picture was taken because a couple of these kids got baptized right out here in the fountain. And what touched me was how that whole group of kids, ninth and tenth grade boys, Didn't let those guys get baptized alone. But they came out of that tank and those boys smack dab full into adolescence, except for maybe one. But anyway, they're all kind of into adolescence. (laughs) And they surrounded those kids. And then and then, like uh, they came to the house that night, but then like I think it was like the next Friday, you have to ask them. But one of the guys got pulled up from JV to varsity and was possibility of playing a couple games. And this group shows up to cheer him on, in the hopes he gets in the game. Now, who does that? And why did they do it? Come on, how many of you had this as teenagers? How many of you wish you had? But this group has it. And I think they know more about fellowship than sometimes the whole church does. So when I see what's going on in the lives of these young men, future leaders that are going to change the world, and one day we're going to give the keys to the church, and then we'll all sit around and complain about what they're doing, well, they we're going to do that. And we're going to say, who does that? Out of all the things happening in teenage boy world, what's going on with them? Because I want to be part of it. Or how about this? This is a family that started tending alive just a couple of years ago. And they were part of a service and a challenge that was put out about fully embracing what God wanted for them and for their family. And so this family made this choice to leave part of their family here And they have actually gone to serve in another country to tell people about Jesus because God spoke to their hearts. So, what this family did is they sold their home and they moved their family of five into a camper and they quit their jobs and they raised money. Last Sunday was their last Sunday here at Alive. This Sunday, they're in Haiti serving. Who does that? Who does that? That's weird. Why would they do that? Because whatever it is, I want to know. We have another group in our church that has this passion for kids, particularly kids in, needs of home, in need of home, either temporary or permanent. So the foster care and adoption group, which I think you all really could have picked a better name, but the foster care and adoption group, they link arms and they meet to encourage and to pray and to problem solve and to seek Jesus together. Let me ask you, who opens up their homes to children they don't know and complicates their lives? Because whatever that is, That needs some attention in our culture, in our society. We have a group of folks that sew dresses for little kids. That's all they do. They get together, I guess, once a week, and they sew dresses. And they have sent their dresses all over the world to kids who need them. As of right now, I'm heard or told, they sent nearly 300 dresses out. Who does that? Who has time to get together and sew a stinking dress? And prioritizes to do it. And in a couple of weeks, we're gonna open a grand opening of a new building over there. Uh, I don't know how you say it. New addition building to this building, building the sequel, whatever it is. We're opening that. And you know what I think about when I sign those giving statements or hear about those things? I think about all you folks who pledge to this, and you don't even have any kids. Or your kids are already up and gone. And yet you'll pledge $10,000, $15,000, dollars $50,000 to something like that that you won't directly benefit from. Who does that in our culture? Where's the financial principle being taught by something that will have no benefit to you whatsoever? Because whatever that is, I am convinced we need more of it. I need to be part of a world where this is more. And I want to be around a group of people who do this. Who opens a brand new building and invites compassion to come this same Sunday so that we can take the hearts of this same group of people who just open that building and sponsor and change a kid's life over. Who does that? Andy Stanley, I think, said this. I don't know if he did or not, but if it's smart, I usually think it's him. He said, we learn in rows, and we grow in circles. So those teenage boys, that dress group, foster care and adoption, we're all going to come together, and we're going to learn in rows. But where we're going to grow is in a circle. So what if you had a safe group of people you trusted? Key words there were safe group of people that you trusted to actually talk about the things we talked about in this room. About a year ago, maybe it's two, I have no idea really when it was, but I asked some guys if they'd be willing to go to a men's retreat with me in Chicago. We had no idea what we're getting into, because if we did, we wouldn't have gone. But nonetheless... It was intense. I mean, we thought we were going to get together, like, do tug-of-war and scratch, you know, something like that, kind of like men do. But that wasn't this group at all, man. It was, whew, it was intense. Man, it was intense. And the whole point of the group was you got broken down in these other small groups. And uh, this is a mirror. I just don't want to flash you with the lights. So, um, and so we got together in this small group, and then they had these, like, we break down. And the point of the small group was basically we'd say, you know, here's, like, your top three hertz. Why don't you share one with the group, and we'll pray for each other. It was essentially it. And um, I got a little, like, nervous because the folks were from here. It would have been easier if they weren't. Because um, the thing that I... I, The reason I went to that small group was this. I I had found myself getting angry, as as what I do, (laughs) um, at things that shouldn't make me angry. And I didn't know what was causing it. And so... um, you know, I basically told the people that were part of that group, I was like, dudes, <laughs> um, you're getting ready to think a whole lot less of me. But if I'm going to do this with authenticity, we're going to have to do this. And so I said, you all can do whatever you want to when it's said and done. And so uh, what I shared when it came to my turn was I shared about how I'd been hurt by the church. And um, I really got beat up. It's something I'd never shared before except for Elise and, and the Harding Corporation were the only folks that ever talked about it. And it about undid me. And I thought I'd got over it. I was like, okay, you know, people are just people, and there are good people, and there are jerks. And, you know, I just did what we all do, and I was wrong. And it was coming out in places I didn't like. So I shared that with this group in this safe place. Remember, we learn in rows, we grow in circles. When I finished, the facilitator gave me a full-length mirror like this. And um, what the assignment was, said, Tom, I want you to tell yourself some of the things you heard in this small group. What did you say to yourself? That's none of your business, and it's really kind of awkward. So anyway, that, that's kind of what happened. And so I just would, I felt like an idiot, but I was, I said, hello. <laughs> and, you know, this is kind of the moment. <laughs> I had this moment, and, uh, and I did that. And that was okay. I was like, okay, you know, this is great, um, wonderful. But then he did something I didn't expect, because we had a couple of folks in my group from Alive. And so he had me hold the mirror up, and then he said, okay, Tom, He said, I want you to turn the mirror sideways. And so I did, like this. And he had moved my brothers from alive in behind me. And he said, Tom, these people love you. They don't hate you. And they're with you. And you may hurt again, but you'll never hurt alone. You see, I think... Everybody wants that kind of group. Don't get me wrong. It is not easy to come by. I get it. It's actually really hard because it's hard to find a safe group and the truth be told, many of us have been hurt in church groups. We have. That's because sometimes we Christians are idiots. But I don't think we ought to throw the whole thing out. Because just as the potential for harm is great, so is the potential for healing, and so is the potential for help. What if, what if, say, 50% of this room bought into the idea that we learn in rows and grow in circles? Would that make any difference in your home, in your marriage, your kids, your dorm room? Would it make any difference? if we did that. So here's what I would say we do. We get together and we open the Bible and we read stories about Jesus. And then we try to do it. But don't we have to have theological plan? No, we don't. You open the Bible, you read stories about Jesus, and then you try to go do it. So, Tom, I'm not very good at leading my marriage. Ready? Here you go. Open the Bible... Read a story about Jesus, and then try to do it. This is who Jesus was. This is what he said. This is what he did, and this is what he promised, and that's all you do. Tom, I'm not really good at leading my family spiritually. I've had a whole lot of mistakes. Welcome to the world. Open your Bible. Read a story about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What did he say? What did he do? What did he promise? Do you think that would change your life? Do you think it would change your family? You better believe it would. That's spiritual formation for me. Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for these great folks. I pray, Lord, that you would use these words now to build your kingdom. May it forcefully advance under the power of your Holy Spirit living within us. I pray, Father, that you would use it to encourage authenticity, encourage an openness to you being planted inside of us in a way that's never happened before. Husbands and wives, sons and daughters, co-workers deciding this matters enough to do it. And Lord, we don't try to change what we want. We try to change who's pulling the strings. We try to give you freedom to speak into our hearts and lives, to live inside, and as a result, change what happens outside. It's in your name we pray. Amen.